With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The 50-yard line on the football field is supposed to be neutral territory, but that was not the case at one Washington State High School where they tried to strip a coach of his First Amendment rights. He took it to the Supreme Court and he won. But now he says the school is retaliating. Plus, more football with the NFL season opener in the books. And it is Fan Friday, ladies and gentlemen. And you know what I'm a fan of? Real women. Hello, everybody. Welcome on into Outkick the Morning. I am your host, Charlie Arnold. And if you know anything about me, I am a big proponent of the First Amendment. It is the whole reason I am sitting in this very chair at this very moment. So I was immediately intrigued when I heard about Joseph Kennedy, an assistant football coach at Bremerton High School in Washington State. He lost his job back in 2015 because of his unwillingness to quit praying at midfield following games despite getting pressure from the school. Now, fast forward seven years to 2022, Kennedy, he received the validation he was looking for, a Supreme Court ruling on his side, upholding his right to pray. And then this year, as a result of that ruling, he got his job back. That lasted one game because of what Kennedy calls retaliation. He wrote in a resignation letter and it read this. I believe I can best continue to advocate for constitutional freedom and religious liberty by working from outside the school system, so that is what I will do. I will continue to work to help people understand and embrace the historic ruling at the heart of our case. As a result of our case, as we have more freedom, not less, that should be celebrated and not disrespected. Uh, let's do a little bit of a, a detour, if you will. We're going to uh, touch on the game from last night. The NFL season opener, Lions-Chiefs at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. And listen, I'll be the first to say, although I'm sure I'm not, because it was quite the stunner of a game, uh, that I was fully expecting the Chiefs to come out on top on this one. I mean, after all, they are defending Super Bowl champions. Uh, the idea of a hangover in the Chiefs' kingdom, you'd think, wouldn't exist, uh, but it absolutely did last night. Uh, they came out a little bit sluggish, not to say that they had all their weapons at their disposal. I'm, I know that... Uh, Patrick Mahomes definitely missed his boy, Travis Kelsey, who was out with a knee injury. Uh, that was something that we only learned about 30 minutes before the game. And not only that, but tackle, defensive tackle Chris Jones, uh, he was also out. And who knows when he's going to come back. He's already said he is more than willing to sit out the first half of the season unless he gets the contract extension he is looking for. But I personally know Chris Jones. He's a great guy. Uh, I know this isn't coming from a malicious place, but he knows his worth, and he should hold out until he feels like he's validated with the contract that he's looking for. Uh, but last night, that 21-20 to victory in favor of the Lions, and wow, what a turnaround from the past few seasons that they've been experiencing. Listen to this stat. Okay, so... In the past two years, they have posted a combined 2-14 record in weeks 1 through 9 in 2021 and 2022 combined. That is a NFL worst. So the fact that they were able to come out last night on the road, what I would call a very threatening atmosphere, 
at Arrowhead Stadium, a very loud stadium, and able to post a huge victory like that is really something that needs to be celebrated in the Lions organization. And I know that their coach uh, said from day one that he believed that this team had all the talent in the world and that they would come out on top. So no surprise to him there. But now we are ready to bring in Joseph Kennedy. And um, Joseph, I'm so excited to be joined by you right now because obviously what you're experiencing is um, something that I have trouble getting on board with. Uh, I was just talking about I'm a huge proponent of the First Amendment. So I got to get the whole story from you. You got your job back, which was great news. Uh, you came back excited to coach. But after one game, you decided to resign. So talk to me about what happened. Yeah, it was a culmination of things. Uh, the number one thing is that uh, I have an ailing uh, father-in-law down in Florida, and we just got his test results back. Uh, talked about the the worst timing possible, but that on top of I knew the school wasn't going to you know be really friendly towards me, and it was tough. So I thought better you know take the high road and uh, retire on my own terms than you know having to just endured the rest of the season so it, it seemed like the right thing to do at the right time okay so let me get this straight you resigned because of an ailing family member or because you did experience some intense retaliation because i was under the understanding that it was primarily because of the retaliation hey it's a mixture of the two uh I, I don't want to talk bad about the school you know that i, I think they did the best that they could it it, it was just going to be a hostile environment anyway. They were, they were forced to take me back, and I knew it was going to be tough. But I, I think uh, they won't lose any sleep over it. And I get to hold my head up high and say I, I got a coach for the past month, and, and we got our first win with the ninth, and I got to retire. So I, I have no regrets. Absolutely no regrets. But when you talk about retaliation, what exactly were you experiencing when you went back? Oh, it's just the... Wow, I really don't even want to go into it. You know, it's just little things here and there. And um, yeah, I just but like what type of th what type of things? Because yeah, what type of things though? I mean, what little what little things here and there were you experiencing? So they put a twenty five uh, foot bubble around me where you know kids can't get involved with me around because I, I don't know they might get prayer on them. Um, they they also. Uh, told me that I couldn't pray until uh, 20 minutes after the game when the field was clear. So they started making all these rules that that the Supreme Court um, just ruled on. The things that got them in trouble in the first place and sent us to you know the Supreme Court, they started it all over again. So yeah, that and a culmination of little things like uh, you know not having a locker and uh, the, the keys not working in the building, lights going out when I'm doing interviews and stuff. Mm. So it's just little things here and there that that added up. Okay, so that that makes sense. They were they were just making your life harder, despite you know you already coming back with that Supreme Court ruling on your side and them being deemed unconstitutional to put you on leave in the first place, uh, giving you your right to pray uh, under the circumstances that you did. Now I know that not everybody was supportive of your prayer sessions, but it seemed to me that enough were uh, where you started out praying alone at midfield, and then more people started to gather with you as time went by. So what were the people saying? that the ones that were supportive of you, once they started realizing all these restrictions were being placed around you? Well, I didn't actually share that with anybody. Um, being a Marine, I don't like to sit there and say, oh, boo-hoo, they were being mean to me. I mean, really, I'm not gonna you know, air that out there. But 
The only thing they saw was a great, great football game. They saw me out there practicing with the team all fall. And then uh, I went to the practice after the game, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And my wife and I decided, yeah, this is the right thing to do at the right time. And mm -hmm. we feel like the never-ending marathon is finally finished. We we ran the good race and, and we finished strong and we kept the faith the whole entire time. So a lot of people still understand they couldn't even believe that I was actually going back to the school that fired me knowing that it was going to be a hostile place to begin with. Well, I, res I, I think that's super courageous and brave. And I actually respect the fact that you went back because I think it showed that you were standing your ground and for what you believed in. And I have to wonder, you know, once you announced your resignation, you, like you just said, you already went back, helped the team to get their first win of the season right away. What was the response from the rest of the coaching staff and the team knowing that you were leaving so soon? Well, I wasn't allowed to talk to the team itself. So I did go around to every one of the coaches and I shook their hand, looked them in the eye and I told them that they were great men. And I feel very confident that the, the coaching staff that's there is really going to take care of these kids. They've been together for eight years and they're just going to continue on, hopefully winning football games and you know, hopefully see them in their uh, postseason and see if we can't get a state championship. Okay, so it, it just seems bizarre to me that there's so much controversy stirred up around the fact that all you were trying to do was lead a prayer. Uh, it wasn't a mandatory thing. It was something you did on your own. Uh, yet it stirred up so much controversy among different people, different groups. Uh, but at the same time, we're seeing how schools are responding and treating parents and children, you know, forcing them to wear masks uh, for extended periods of time. Uh, there also, there's the trans athlete issue where a lot of schools aren't even, I know Washington, Washington State for one has no legislation in place that bars or bans trans athletes from playing within the girls sports. So how do you really come to terms with that, that people are so upset about the fact that you're praying after the game, yet all of these things are allowed to exist and go on? Well, you know, the whole entire left coast is pretty messed up right now. And we constantly keep looking at, oh, maybe the president will save us or Congress or somebody else. And that's not what's going to do it. That's obviously not cutting it. So we have to start governing ourselves. I mean, that's what we're called to do. We didn't, we've had the rights um, given by God. So we need to stand up as Americans and push back. You can start to see that us uh, pushing back and standing up. And hopefully people will see that that's what I did. I, if if I could do this and make this much of an impact, imagine what we could do together if we all banded together and fought for the right things. Because Americans have the same rights as everybody else, and we don't have to bow down to anybody. Okay, so one one good thing that's coming out of all this is you're moving from Washington to Florida. Uh, we know that Florida right now has probably some of the greatest freedoms and liberties as, as any state in our nation. So do you plan on getting back into football there? What's your, what's your game plan once you arrive in Florida? I obviously taking care of your family, but uh, do you have plans to get back right. into coaching? Uh, I don't at the exact moment. We've already started this season. I've gotten a lot of job uh, offers here in the local area at the high schools and a couple of the, the community colleges and, and little state colleges. But I'm, I'm really looking at what is next for me. Maybe it's not coaching, maybe it's politics, maybe it's ministry, but I know I'm called to serve and stand up for the constitution and stand up for everybody's rights. And I would like to continue to do that and work on religious liberty for all Americans.
Well, Joe, I am so thankful to have spoken with you. Um, I'm thankful that you stood up for your rights. Uh, I'm thankful for all of the people that continued to support you until your last day at the high school. And I wish you nothing but all of the success as you go on to your next chapter in Florida and also a speedy recovery to your family member. You are so awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, well, we are going to move from the high school football field back to the NFL field. I know we already covered the game a little bit, talked about what we saw last night in that regular season opener. But there's another aspect of the game. I mean, it's not just about what the players are able to accomplish on the field. It's the way that they walk into the stadium. I am talking about fashion. I mean, right, if, if you look the part, Oftentimes, you play the part. So I'm here to get into who I think was the best dressed heading into last night's season opener between the Chiefs and the Lions. So first off, we are going to start with a member of the Super Bowl defending Chiefs. We have Richie James, wide receiver. And let's take a look at the outfit he was donning heading into Arrowhead Stadium. Okay, I've got to give it to him. He's got the Lithuania basketball t-shirt on. You know, it's kind of a, a cool and casual vibe that he's sporting. He's got the printed hat, uh, the pants with the decal. I mean, this guy just looks like he's there to be comfortable, there to make a little bit of a statement. I think he's doing a good job at it. Okay, next we move on to Jarek McKinnon, also a member of the Chiefs, a running back. Uh, he finished with one reception in 10 yards last night. And also, Jarek, going with the comfortable and cool vibe. You know what I'm noticing these days? And everyone probably, uh, you know, is, is aware of this, too. Dressing up is just kind of a thing of the past. Like, I've got my sneakers on right now. We are not doing heels anymore. That is, we are all about being comfortable. So here, I think Jarek, same vibe. He's got the T-shirt. I'm not exactly sure what that decal is on his shirt. It looks like, um, it looks like a monkey of some sort with massive sneakers talking into a microphone. That's all I can really determine from that. So I don't know what that logo is, but... I'm into it. I like it. Uh, finally, we're going to go to wide receiver Rashi Rice for the Chiefs. He finished with three receptions, 29 yards, and a touchdown, uh, which was, you know, not quite enough to get the Chiefs to where they needed to be. But uh, this is a little bit more of a statement. Uh, the bright green, I'm into it. The neon, uh, he's definitely not going to be getting hit by any cars in that parking lot uh, because he's like a walking traffic cone. Uh, and I think on his shirt, what is that? Is that Jay-Z? I can't really tell. Uh, but I'm into the shades, I'm into the necklace, the ice, the bling, he's looking good. Uh, okay, now we're going to move on to the team that really did the damn thing last night. That would be the Lions. Uh, they got the victory, astonishingly, in the season opener against, again, the Super Bowl defending Chiefs. So first guy we're going to look at, Alex Anzalone. He is a linebacker. He finished with six tackles. Uh, he decided to go... I guess the more traditional route. This is how we're used to seeing players enter the field. Uh, he's got his suit on, or at least a, a sport jacket. I think he's wearing jeans. Uh, but, you know, he looks nice. This is, I think this is the way to go. And, and we'll see if there was a trend among the Lions, because if I think all of them were dressed up, maybe the Chiefs just entered in a little too comfortable. You know, maybe they didn't walk in with a professional enough error, and that's what ended up uh, doing them dirty on the field. Uh, but let's see how the trend goes, because next we have Marvin Jones Jr., wide receiver for the Lions, finishing with two receptions, eight yards, lost fumble. But did he fumble on his outfit? No, he did not. See, we are continuing the trend. This is a beauty. I actually think so far this is my favorite outfit. 
We've got the teal suit, uh, the nice fitting white shirt underneath. He's got the nice leather duffel bag. And just look at the look on his face. Like, he looks like he is gracing the cover of GQ right now. I am so into this. And finally, we will see if the dress-up trend continues. Malcolm Rodriguez, linebacker for the Lions, one tackle. And did he tackle his outfit? He did. He did tackle his outfit. This is awesome. This was actually my favorite outfit I saw last night. I didn't try to look at all of them in advance because I wanted it to be a little bit of a surprise so I could give a little bit of off-the-cuff, I guess, um, breakdown. But this was a great outfit. I really enjoy, like, the Western vibe, the hat. This is a thing right now, you guys. I mean, obviously, all the Taylor Swift fans out there know that. I mean, everyone right now is going to the Taylor Swift concerts with their cowboy hats on. But this is great. I like it. It's It says that I'm... I'm here to work, but also have a good time. And we actually don't get to see his shoes, but his shoes were money, quite literally. They had dollar signs all over them. Uh, they were a cowboy boot sort. So, um, guys, that's your fashion breakdown of the night. I would love to know which outfit you liked the most. So if you want to shoot me a message on Twitter or Instagram, or if there was another player out there that you saw that we didn't get to, uh, hit me up with a photo of them. I'd love to see it. Okay, so that'll do it for our coverage of last night's game. And, of course, we have so many more games to look forward to this weekend. Season one is officially underway. And as I've already reminded all of you, um, I am a Colts fan. So they're playing the Jags. And as much as I would love to say that they're going to beat the Jags, the Jags have been looking pretty good. They finished off pretty strong last year. And I don't have too much faith in Indianapolis besides Anthony Richardson, who I hope has a breakout rookie season. Uh, but now let's do a little callback from yesterday. So again, I asked all of you what you wanted to see and hear on Outkick the Morning, and no surprise here, you guys wanted more Burning Man. And, and I am not mad to talk about this because I feel like we are all taking delight in the disaster that went down in the desert. So I ended up chatting with a first time burner and a comedian, his name is Brent Pella. He was in for a treat, and I say that in the most sarcastic of senses, in the desert, listen to what he experienced. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody so messed up that they start speaking in cursive, you know, like every word just sounds like that's what this guy was like. Um, and he I, I first saw him outside of a fire pit. He had a cigarette in his hand and somebody offered him a lighter and he said something in underworld gibberish and he ended up leaning into the fire to try and light it, fell all the way into the fire, had to get pulled out. Ten minutes later, I saw him uh, a couple yards away from our RV, the ground as a porta potty. You know, I don't know how detailed you want to get because we're on television, but this man was making dirty love to the dirt. Making love to the dirt. I think we all can realize what he's implying. I can't decide what smelled worse, falling into the fire. We know what that smells like. Flesh burning, hair burning, not a good one. But then defecating on the ground. Uh, that's a real doozy. But, you know, it's interesting because I feel like if you want to witness that scene, you don't even need to go to Burning Man because that just sounds like a good old day right here in New York City, unfortunately. Uh, and by the way, I did tell Brett to tell me every last detail of what happened. So uh, there's even more to that interview, and we're going to post the rest of that on social media if you want to check that out. Uh, now, let me just say one place you will not find people pulling down their pants, or at least publicly, is at the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament, currently in its third to last day, again, right here in New York City. And with that, I am super excited to bring in professional tennis player, Tennis Sandgren, 
His name is Tennis, and he's a tennis player. Uh, he's one of the most outspoken athletes in the sport. Uh, so we are very pleased to welcome him onto Outkick the Morning. If he's ready, is he ready to go right now? Yes, he is. Tennis, how you doing? Fantastic. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. I am doing excellent. Okay, so the first thing I have to ask you, uh, this is a very hard-hitting question. Uh, your name is Tennis, T-E-N-N-Y-S. Uh, I noticed you were from Tennessee. I also noticed your parents both played tennis. So what were you named after? Uh, it was actually my great-grandfather. Um, he was the first Sandgren born in the U.S. Um, I'm certainly... Um, 100% sure that it had nothing to do with my parents playing tennis. I'm sure they had no aspirations of me uh, playing professional tennis. I'm sure it was definitely uh, very normal. Uh, everything's normal here. Wait, so was it tennis or something? Was there a longer version of your name? No, no, it was tennis. Uh, he was also oh. tennis angered, my great-grandfather, and uh, just happened oh to work out. I always told myself that I had to be, like, at least pretty good. Like, I couldn't be bad. I couldn't play tennis and my name be tennis and not be very good, so... It I, I, I totally agree with you. So at least you're holding that part up. Uh, now, we got to talk about something that happened at the U.S. Open last night. I'm sure you saw it because you've, I know, been tuning into the U.S. Open. I've been watching your commentary on Twitter. Uh, we have some climate protesters who decided to wear shirts that said, end fossil fuels. And then not only that, two of them were escorted out. The third of them wasn't able to be escorted out promptly because the idiot decided to super glue his feet to the pavement. Um, this obviously put a stop to the action on the court. This was the women's semifinal match uh, in which Coco Goff came out victorious. But what in the world? Uh, is this something that we should become accustomed to seeing at major sporting events? I sure hope not. Um, I'm glad that they <laughs> super glued their feet to the concrete rather than a priceless painting like they've been doing um, in different places over the last year. Um, it's wild, it's really wild. I wonder if they all walked to the US Open. I wonder if they used any fossil fuels to even get to the, the stadium in the first place. Um, I, I just don't, I don't understand the whole movement. Um, if we get rid of fossil fuels, what are we gonna do uh, in the interim to actually live and have food and support the billions of people that live on this planet? Uh, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, you know, it's good to believe in something, I guess, but. I just don't know what the plan is here. Um, if these people got everything that they wanted, uh, how many people would <laughs> would perish in the pros in the uh, process? I don't know. Yeah, it's so interesting because you have to wonder just the goal. I mean, you have three people at the U.S. Open interrupting the action. A one guy super glues his feet to the ground. I just I just can't imagine this being all that productive or what they think people around them. Oh, oh you know what? After this show. You're right. I'm going to stop using fossil fuels. You sold me. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure people are going to go the other direction uh, when they are inconvenienced or interrupted or they you spent a lot of money to come to the U.S. Open and pay for tickets and everything that goes into it. And then you interrupt the whole the whole match um, for something that really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I, I don't know. I don't think you're going to get a lot of people on your side by doing it that way. No. Uh, I don't either, and I'm sure that you know what it means to not have a lot of people on your side because you are one of the few, at least publicly in the sport, who stood up uh, against the COVID vaccine. Uh, you did not get vaccinated, and that didn't allow you to play in the U.S. Open these past couple years. This year, you, you, made, you made it back. Uh, you got to the second round of qualifiers, but I just ask, how did it feel to finally be back and finally be able to play the sport that you love? 
Uh, it's been great. Um, you know, there were some events that I wasn't able to play. I couldn't go to Australia uh, in 2022, I think, the year Novak couldn't go. I believe it was this past year. Um, yeah, 2022. There's two yeah. years. 2022, yeah. Um, and, yes, it's difficult. Um, you know, there were places in Europe I couldn't go for a little while. But, you know, things have normalized uh, for the most part, uh, thankfully. The U.S. was actually one of the last places, I guess, to to allow people to come into the country. So Novak couldn't play the U.S. Open last year. So it's good to see him back in New York and um, in the semifinals and and doing his thing. But yeah, it's been it was crazy, and I'm hoping we don't return to the craziness. Although it seems like um, that might be a pipe dream. I, I don't know. We're starting to get the whole mask mandate thing going on uh, in different places, and oh, yeah. they're starting to roll out the propaganda for the new vaccine of some new variant of some kind. Um, I guess the Moderna shares aren't doing as well as they've been doing. So they've got to pump uh, the next thing, I guess it's coming. Yeah. Yeah. We live in an absolutely crazy world. I'm curious though. Did you ever talk with Djokovic about your unwillingness to get vaccinated? Did you guys ever compare stories or talk about that? Because I'm unsure of how many people in tennis actually decided not to get vaccinated, but I know you two were among the biggest names. Mm. Um, he encouraged people to just do their own research about it, um, and just make the best decision for you and your body. Um, that was kind of his, his story. And I think it's a good one. I think that's what people should do. I think you should be doing what's best for your body. I think you should be looking into what you're taking. I think you should be proactive, uh, in your own health, um, and not just listening to what other, everyone is telling you to do. Did, did you get a chance to talk personally with him about that at any point? Uh, we did talk personally a little bit about that. Um, I kind of knew his stance already, so I didn't really need to talk with him about, you know, what he believed. It was quite apparent when he was in the gulags of Australia, what, <laughs> what he believed in. Um, I saw him for the first time in New York, uh, recently during this last, uh, this, or this current U.S. Open, uh, the last U.S. Open for me since I've been at home for the last week, but, uh, gave him a big hug. It was great to see him. Um, you know, I hope, always wish him the best. I always hope that he kills it on the court. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, talking of COVID, I know you already mentioned that there's new mandates coming into play. We've heard all the rumors, well, the new variants, the, the idea that we might be wearing masks again, that they want us to get another booster shot. Uh, you specifically retweeted, retweeted Clay Travis's tweet uh, that COVID restrictions are back at an Atlanta area college. And you said that's going to be a hard no for me. How unsettling is it? that the government is trying to once again force and impose all of these restrictions and mandates potentially? It's uh, slightly terrifying. It is slightly terrifying. Um, I think the the research has been in and is in that masks don't help with this at all. Uh, and the fact that we might be going down this road again with mask mandates and vaccine mandates and all these things um, is terrifying because it's just not effective for for what we're dealing with. Uh, I personally got rid of all my masks. Uh, I, even if I had them, I wouldn't wear them. Uh, I'm not putting them on again. So if we're going to go through this whole thing again, I'll, I'll double and triple down on, on not participating in this. And I don't know, I'll go live in the mountains somewhere. I'm just not, I'm just not ready to do this. Not again. No chance. 
I, I think at this point we're all going to be living in the mountains if this is the world that we have to look forward to. Do you think that there's any possibility that the governing body of tennis would ever go to the lengths that they did before and not allow people to play uh, if they didn't get you know a required shot or didn't follow the COVID restrictions that are put out by the government? Do you think, do you think that that would be something the tennis uh, body would do again? Uh, for sure. For sure, uh, it just depends on what the what the governments of the different places that were that were playing uh, put into place. So we're you know it's an international tour, so we're playing everywhere in Europe and Australia and North America. So uh, it really kind of at the at the mercy of of local governments. Mm. So if there's some sort of mandate in place, whether that's masks or, or quarantines or you know the the, the gambit uh, taking the vaccine, they're basically forced to comply or there's not a tour. So you'd have to restructure everything uh, to not participate in those sorts of mandates. So it's if they get put back in place, then we're back in the same boat, really. Yeah, I feel like that's got to be frustrating. You know, as an athlete, you only have so much time, uh, I would say, when you're in your prime, uh, when you're able to play to the best of your abilities, to not be able to use this time uh, the past few years to your advantage because you decide that you want to have autonomy over your body. Uh, it just doesn't seem right to me. But uh, back to the U.S. Open tennis, a word on the street, I don't know if you experienced this, was that it smelled like weed. One player even said, court 17 smells like Snoop Dogg's living room. Did you smell the weed? <laughs> uh, I don't remember smelling it specifically at the courts. Uh, although in in the city, uh, you cannot walk a block without uh, smelling something being lit up um, at all hours of the day. It doesn't matter, 6 a.m., 6 p.m. Um, so I'm, I'm not surprised. There's the Corona Park, which is right next to the Flushing Meadows uh, site. So people are having barbecues and all sorts of, you know, fun times right outside the grounds uh, where they played the U.S. Open. So I'm not surprised that somebody was uh, lighting up right <laughs> right there next to the court. But it's it's wild. You know, that's something that um, in the whole argument and the debate of, of legalizing marijuana is that you have to smell it all the time when it's legal. So I'm, I'm not sure of all the effects. I think that's probably the worst. Uh, definitely. And, and finally, just to wrap up, I I know a lot of athletes, I know even in the NBA, they stopped um, outlawing the use of weed. They actually have it in there. You no longer are getting tested for weed. Do tennis players get tested for weed or is it something that they partake in a lot? Uh, we do. We do get tested for weed amongst many yeah. other things. Um, I believe it's the amount has been laxed over the last five to 10 years. So the amount that you can actually have in your system is higher. Um, okay. I haven't seen... I would assume that ten some tennis players are smoking weed, but I, you're not hearing of any players getting busted um, in the doping program. So that kind of tells you, I would think. But you know, yeah. I, I I don't know. I, it's hard to say who and when and how much weed players are smoking, but you would have to think that it's happening sometimes. Absolutely. Well, tennis, thank you so much. Uh, I'm appreciative to have spoken with you, and I am glad to have finally learned where your name comes from. So thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. Okay, now on to a story that, as a woman, makes my blood boil. So sometimes I think the mainstream media thinks we're all idiots and that if they say something enough times, we're just going to go with it. And the sad part is, in many cases, they're right. And this anchor knows that by having the audacity to refer to this guest as a brave woman. Watch. 
I want to share a story about Artemis Langford, who is a student at the University of Wyoming and made history last fall as the first openly transgender woman to join a sorority. Um, Artemis Langford scored a major legal victory when a judge dismissed a suit brought by six fellow members of her Kappa Kappa Gamma sorority who sued to kick her out of the chapter over her trans identity. I mean, give me a break in case you aren't aware of this story. Artemis Langford is a biological male who joined the Kappa Kappa Gamma sorority at the University of Wyoming. And now apparently she is the victim, though it was her that visibly had erections in front of other sorority members, peeped on the women in the house and asked them inappropriate questions about their sex lives. But the question is, why wouldn't she play the victim card? It worked well for Dylan Mulvaney, who's now carrying a reported net worth of more than one and a half million dollars. And if you've noticed, has become an absolute star. She walks red carpets, had her face on a Bud Light can, even locked in a Nike partnership, despite having no athletic background or any interest at all. But listen, that is the thing. She doesn't need the resume or anything for what she's been given. Being trans is enough because if a company doesn't give her the opportunity to represent them, they're considered bigots. We're all learning that right now, all you need to be successful in this climate is to insist others to ignore the very basics of reality and what it truly means to be a woman. And no one can argue with you unless again, they want to be called hateful. But I'm here to bring the lunatic lives back to reality and define what it really means to be a woman. Get your up and work. Okay, so to be a woman is to be born a woman. It has nothing to do with your clothes, the makeup you wear, the name you decide to go by, or your declaration of a new identity, whether in spirit or surgically. I have no issue. Let me repeat, no issue with how someone wants to live their life, but trans women should not be able to encroach on or invade the spaces that women have carved out for themselves for decades. Companies should also get back to celebrating women who have mountains of accomplishments that are now being ignored in favor of progressiveness. And finally, this is something that frustrates me to no end. I am so insulted that I am now required by the left to label myself as cis. I am not a cis woman. That is a silly label. It means nothing to me. I am a woman and that is it. So with that, uh, I'd like to take the time to recognize a woman who has accomplished something special and really deserves some credit. So let me introduce to you Shanae Miller Uibo. She's a 29-year-old Bahamian track and field sprinter, two-time Olympic champion who just last month got back into competition with a new title. Uh, that being, she is a new mother. Uh, and listen to this. She came back to competition only four months postpartum and it did not slow her down at all. She won the race, and let me just inform you, the race, a 400-meter sprint. If you know anything about track and field, that is one of the hardest races to win. It requires the most explosiveness, a ton of energy, and just incredible will. So uh, she is a hero, she is a phenom, she is a woman, and someone that I would love to celebrate at this very moment. Uh, but here's what she had to say when she came back. She said this on Instagram, quote, at four months postpartum, I decided to take a step back on the world stage. I felt it was important to show all women that the end does not come with pregnancy. I hope to inspire other mothers and those who are considering becoming a mother. The journey to my third Olympic gold medal begins. I mean, listen, I'm not saying all of us can accomplish the things that Shanae did. She is so incredibly talented. And all I have to say is if I'm four months postpartum 
ain't no way I'm winning a race. Uh, I'm, I'm probably going to be walking very slowly on the treadmill at that point. But you know what? That's neither here nor there. A big congratulations to her. A big shout out to all of the women here on what I'd like to call Feminine Friday. Not Feminist Friday. Feminine Friday. Uh, and before we go, everyone, I would implore you to please remember to hit that subscribe button. Hit the like button. Leave a comment down below. And don't forget, I'm always up for hearing what you want me to talk about here on Outkick the Morning. So shoot me a message on Twitter, on Instagram, however you can best communicate with me. The handle is at Charlie on TV. And with that, I say to you goodbye and have a great weekend. And I will see you all early on Monday morning, 8 a.m.